what we do as educators is we are shaping students for the world. We're not shaping them for this educator's version of the world. I've been thinking a lot about and exploring the role of virtual reality in education. There's so much potential with this technology, but there's also the opportunity for this to devolve in nothing more than a novelty. This connected me with educator Kwaku Anning and the exceptionally creative work he's doing with his students in this space. Let's hear from Kwaku and explore the potential and opportunity this technology provides educators in the classroom. My name is Kwaku Anning, and I'm the director of the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurial Thinking at the San Diego Jewish Academy. Um, but I also do other things in education as well. And uh, Greg, you and I are chatting about, I guess, tech and innovation and immersive tech and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we really appreciate you joining us on the So We've Been Thinking podcast. Um, just to give the audience a bit of context, there was a bit of a back and forth recently on social media. Um, uh, a friend and colleague of mine, Dan Ryder, was looking for some examples of like high value student creativity, like really embracing um, students expressing themselves with intention through virtual reality. And he suggested that, you know, anyone following that thread, check out your work. So I wanted to reach out to you immediately. So that, that's primarily what I'd love to talk about. And maybe even get a little uh, background from you. Like how did it get to the point where you started to engage with virtual reality or augmented reality? And then maybe we can even dig a bit deeper about like what is the kind of work that you're doing with this? Where do you see it going? Uh, but how did you get to this place where, um, you know, I was, I was compelled to track down your work and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, and it, so it's funny, I was talking about this with someone the other day. I'm lucky enough to have to have had two jobs where I can just chase ideas, which is not something that happens in education. So it's it's privilege, it's luxury. I, I 100% uh, understand it and appreciate it and value it. And so along those lines, um, I moved, and we were talking about this, you know, in our I guess our pre-interview chat. I moved from New York to Memphis. And in New York, I worked, uh, you know, prior to moving to Memphis, I moved there to work for an independent school. I'd worked in um, charter and Title I schools for 10 years. Initially, I was a music teacher, and then I was a tech integrationist within uh, New York City, DOE schools, and then I went back to the charter world, and, and I was um, a digital learning director. And so when I got to this job in Memphis, I was like, all right, great, I'm ready to go. I'm, you know, I'm starting a month early because I want to hit the ground running. Uh, what, you know, what's, what's the vision? What's the plan? What, you know, what, what can I do? And they're basically like, well, you tell us. What do you want to do? Which is not something that you're used to hearing as an educator. You know, or what should you be doing? Um, especially coming from a, like a public world. And so in, in that job, I just, I was hearing about AR and VR. I was like, all right, let's figure out what this is. And so let's just experiment with it. And that, that took place in, in the form of uh, putting together a, a VR club. And the emphasis of it was really, it, the VR was, was kind of just a blatant lie. It was really just a design club or a design thinking <laughs> club. And the tool that we used was VR. Yeah. So the club spent initially, uh, the club went for nine months, six of it was talking about design. 
and you know taking them through the Mary Cantwell um, used to be at Mount Vernon Prep taking taking the students through that design process and then they actually had to solve a lockbox uh, problem to find out where the first headset was. <laughs> so why why bother giving kids a headset unless they can't uh, meaningfully unlock that headset? That's fantastic. Yeah, and then from there, initially, to be honest, I even has I don't even like to call myself an expert, maybe an expert facilitator, because the first headset that we had, you know, the kids found it. You know, they followed the clues in the lockbox to find it, and they set it up. They're like, what do we do with it? I'm like, I don't know. What do you do with it? So they're the ones who actually set it up initially, set up all the passwords, and then like a month or two later, I'd be like, all right, guys, I need all that information. Right. Um, and so it, you know, it sort of went from there. And, and so I worked with those kids. Uh, they actually designed, uh, this was like 2016, I believe. They designed their own uh, VR game using Unity. And so all of this was new. Like, you know, I didn't know how to use any of this stuff initially. I was going to learn it with the kids. And we, we did two weeks of assignments. And each week, they were just so much further ahead of me. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Wow. You, guys are, you know, 12 through 16, you, have, you don't have families or, you know, <laughs> so, or kids or anything. So you have way more free time. Why am I holding you back? And then the club sort of uh, pivoted where... Um, I helped, I facilitated them sort of like coming up with their plan and when they needed things to, that they needed to purchase or they needed space on campus, I was that person and I showed them how to project manage their assignment. So I found them software where they determined the tasks that they had to do and they assigned it to each other and they were checking it off. Digitally. So I would just oversee that. Um, but the kids literally did uh, like 98% of the work. And I did the 2% of like setting up the space for them. I, I completely understand the idea of being more of um, like a facilitator or giving, you know, making sure that they understand like required skills separate from the technology to actually make the technology um, do what you want it to do. Or, you know, the outcome is what you're, you're hoping to have the outcome, but it's, it, primarily or ultimately it's, it has very little to do with understanding every inner working of that headset or whatever platform that you're using. So yeah. I wonder also like if you were to reflect back on that early experience, if we were to map it on a spectrum of like um, high success, like exceptionally powerful experience for students with regards to the technology, to, uh, to you know, on the, the lower end of the scale of like, hey, the, the technology itself, 2016, kind of let us, let us down or we recognized a ton of limitations, ultimately trying to get to the point of like, where are we now with, with regards to VR in an educational setting? So what, what would you say if you were, you know, look back on it, rating that, that whole experience? That's a really good question. And I, there's, there's a couple things. One, it's hard to say that the technology let us down because the tech was where it was at that time. Right. And there were, I mean, at one point, the kids finished the game and we were talking to the people at Oculus about putting the game in their store. And the, there were a couple of issues. One, the process for uploading the content mm -hmm. is designed for engineers. It's, you know, so it's not even that it's not designed for students. It's designed for people who are software developers. And so it took us weeks to figure out how to upload it properly. And while that's happening, the software that we used to develop it was, you know, it would, they would come out with updates every week. And each time an update came out, you'd have to go in and amend the, the code 
that were, was used to design the software to uh, basically interface with the updates of the software. So we kept trying to upload it, and then as we're uploading it, it didn't work because we had to do the updates. And did the kids see value in this experience, or were that was this like eternal frustration? It was a little bit of both, and so this I think this is more pedagogical. In this way, it's a success because there kids shouldn't see anything that they're doing as as having a, like a, an ending point. Hmm. You know, we don't view. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you don't, but. Uh, we don't, as educators, we don't view education as, all right, great. Well, they've done this. Now they're ready for life. Well, they've done this and now they're going to be happy. It, you know, it, it's like anything. It's like marriage. It's like, it's like, you know, taking care of your body physically. It's something you're constantly putting work into and you're tweaking things and figuring out, oh, this works a little bit better. Or now I'm in this place and I need to do this. And those are the skills that those kids are going to need. Because literally what we were using in 2016 is completely outdated now. So right. it can't be about the tech. Right. I mean, you could even argue, too, that when, when you were getting into that story, it makes me think of whenever I'm fortunate enough to work with teachers on the exploration of does VR have any value? We look at the spectrum of, like, low-fedelity consumption. Right. Can, it, it, like, can you take your students somewhere they've never been before with pre-created content where the entry point is exceptionally low, the quality of the experience is low, but that's even new to, a, I would say, like a significant percentage of educators, even that idea of like you can filter YouTube videos by 360. Right. So right. even your description of like, uh, I really, <laughs> the way you described it, I was like, it can't be too much of a disappointment because the technology was where it was. Like that was the constraint we had. So that's what we had to do. Right. Um, but I wonder even if, you know, either in the role you have now or thinking about that that early entry point, which I would say is on like the higher side of like fidelity. If students are creating with that technology, the way you described it, to me, that would be like high fidelity creation. If they're trying to push to like an Oculus store, even with all the obstacles in the way. So what do you think about it now? Because when you were talking about like that uploading process was for like highly skilled technicians, where yeah. now it's, a like a lot of environments are drag and drop. So what do you think now with regards to the barrier to entry or the barrier to creation? I think the barrier is so much, it's so much easier now. It is so much e easier. So there's this, um, this company, uh, VR Education, I believe mm -hmm. they're called. Their, their main pro uh, product is Engage VR. Mm -hmm. Their product, essentially, it is a, the space and it's, it's, a, it's a learning and meeting space that you can access through VR, um, but there's a piece where you can bring elements into it. And so you can choose what kind of scene you wanna be in. Do you wanna be in a classroom? Do you want to be like in a cafe overlooking a city? And then you can bring in elements. Do you wanna be underwater? Do you wanna be in the moon uh, or on the moon or something like that? And so all of that, all of that creation piece sort of mirrors that drag and drop piece that you were talking about and that that to me is like this natural evolution of technology. Like when I went to grad school, um, I took flash classes and I learned HTML. Mm -hmm. No one uses flash anymore. <laughs> you know, HTML still exists, um, but it isn't as popular as something like Python or even like JavaScript or as widely used or as functional. Um, and so, but with that being said, if I want to build a website, I can literally build a website on my phone. Right, right. You know, and in the early 2000s, you'd have to find the guy to build the <laughs> website for you. Yeah. 
maybe about two G's and then maybe about somewhere between two to 400 a month to maintain your site, you know? And so that evolution of like technology, you know, doing something and it just getting so much easier to do the same thing or even do more, but from an easier perspective, that is the wave of it. And that's, I mean, that I think ties back to the concept of really emphasizing the idea of design with the kids Um, because VR and AR, they're just tools and they're going to be better. They're already better tools you know, within the same field, but better versions of it in a short amount of time. Yeah, it seems like, you know, it's funny, I've been, with the work I get to do with EdTech Teacher, I'm, I think I'm in year eight of helping schools find meaningful ways to use technology, and usually the process is they buy it, and then they go, oh, we should think about what we'd like to accomplish with this new technology. Right. And it makes me think back to as a history teacher, where I could have my kids only, not only, they would maintain blogs in my classes and we could do that for two or three years and that was ridiculously innovative because the technology moved at a slower pace. So even, you know, year over year, watching things change. I remember when Google had like story spheres as their kind of VR project and then to watch how quickly Tor Creator kind of overtook that space and gave you more capacity and no storage limits and you know it just the tools are getting easier to use right which i think also leads us to what you alluded to in terms of you know we were were chatting before a bit about like using design thinking to have kids like identify meaningful opportunities to then leverage the tools so things don't kind of devolve into like an ar um multiple choice activity that's floating in a classroom that has nothing to do with location or any intention with the design. So would you be comfortable speaking to that at all? Like how might we um, take the, the skills and mindsets of design thinking and then really make the use of VR and AR meaningful? So that's, that is a great question. And it, it's, and the, it's a, there's a simple and a, and a longer answer. It's not always the case. Mm-hmm. So the simple answer is, wait to even talk about the VR or the AR. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, did a, I did a presentation this, this past weekend uh, for a smaller ISTE event. And the presentation involved, you know, creating immersive, um, creating immersive tech or using immersive tech within the classroom or, you know, immersive representation. And so I, I, did a ca- I presented a case study of a project that I did with a teacher that I currently work with. And it's a math teacher who was teaching uh, basically students around uh, about the coordinate plane. And so the way she wanted to do it is she had them create art on coordinate plane, you know, which they would draw out, they would create on their graphing calculator. Then they would literally build a physical representation of what they've done to scale. Mm-hmm. And then the final piece of that was that the kids created AR triggers so that the things that were on their, um, on their coordinate plane art pieces actually came to life. And the, the, the reason I, I, I tell the story, I use this as an example, is that the AR was the last portion of it. If their math wasn't right, they couldn't put it up on the wall. Right. And if, if they hadn't gotten to the point where what they were putting up on the wall looked right, they couldn't even get to the AR. But the, the process of doing it on paper, doing it on a calculator, building it out physically and then also creating a digital digital representation that tied into this physical piece the idea of of doing something three to four different ways really embedded the content into the kids Mm -hmm. and so then you fast forward to this year 
um, I'm working with a bunch of kids on a project where they're going to um, add a level of um, AR to a, a, a small local museum. And so when I was approaching kids, you know, because you have to ask them, I mean, this is their time, there's a lot of activities, you know, kids are really busy. I, you know, I had kids who aren't techie kids. And, you know, they happen to be girls, but I have some boys who aren't necessarily, who don't see themselves as the tech kids in class, but they're like, oh yeah, oh, like the math thing we did, that's easy, we can do it. <laughs> Meaning like, this is a tool that they understand how to use. Like, this is something that they view, um, or they're as comfortable with as they would be with like Snapchat or Instagram. Right. And that's our role as educators. So tying it back to your original question, we just need to simplify the process and build the confidence in the kids to be able to share information or tell stories with AR VR. So they can add it to the toolbox of the stuff that they're already doing because they're already media creators. It, when you mentioned, and, and I saw the, um... I think I saw a post of an image of your presentation and the caption was something along the lines of like, you were emphasizing the importance of storytelling within the context of using the technology, but storytelling trumped everything. And like, could the technology be the best way to convey your story? And in some instances it could be, you know, I'm, I'm reading a piece now that was just sent to me um, called Envisioning Virtual Reality, a toolkit for implement, implementing VR in education. Uh, my colleague, Justin, who's at the, teaching systems lab at MIT, he sent me the piece and connected me with one of the authors, um, Meredith Thompson. He's like, hey, you, should, you know, look at her work and connect with Meredith. They're doing some really interesting things about pulling out case studies of what this looks like. And one of the examples was um, this idea of students, you know, enhancing an experience at a museum through augmented reality. And, you know, can they tell a better story? Or, you know, if you were to construct this as a design challenge, like, how might we, uh, you know, value the museum goer by giving them a better experience in the museum with augmented reality as the, you know, the technology of the experience. But it also makes me think too with the storytelling, like even in, with virtual, it often becomes like, let's go somewhere, let's visit a location that we might not be able to visit. And there's tremendous value in that. You yeah. know, I have a little guy of my own and he wants to go see the North Pole and it takes all of 30 seconds to find a picture on 360 cities, drop it into a headset, he can go to the North Pole, no big deal. But I think I'm more interested in, can the high school um, student in an English class even develop a vision for using virtual reality to like convey their poem in a way that they might not be able to without it. So it no longer becomes, you know, text on paper. It becomes, you hear the author reading the poem, you hear a certain type of music in the background, you feel what's going on in the scene to best tell the story of the poem. Okay. And that's okay. So that, that's a really, that's a really great point. Um, and this is this is a side note, but and I'm going to look up this guy's name because I want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> I hear you typing away. This is great. Yeah. This is super I mean, live. Yeah. And I think this is someone that you know. Do you know Ken Shelton? Um, I know of Ken, and I've seen all again similar thing like following the work and kind of getting inspiration from you know educators like he and, and you. So Ken, I attended his session. Okay. A lot of what he talked about was um, basically modes of telling story using media. And so we talked about different types of documentary. Is it like the idea where you find a wall or experience and how that applies to, and so we showed us different types of media and we had to basically talk about the different approaches that were used to create that media. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the the idea, you know, the 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 point that I made the following day about storytelling uh, empowering students, uh, and it was this larger point that I was talking about, which had to do with how we receive our information or how narratives are shared with us. So if you look through history, um, initially it was word of mouth, mm. and it was, then it was the printing press, you know. So then it was books, then it was newspapers, then it became the radio. Then it became television. This is how a majority of people connected to the world at large or got their information, whether it be through stories, through news reports, through perspectives, whatever. So then it went from the radio to TV. Then it went from TV, and this is, you know, tipping into where we are now, to the internet slash social media. And then if you look at the last presidential election that happened, it doesn't matter which side you're on. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a lot of people who were swayed by things that they read online things that they read on Facebook. And so if you combine the, the idea of that, like this is how people are getting their information, I, I feel that I'm making a calculated bet within education that people will start to receive their information using immersive technology, using AR, using VR, using combinations of those. And so if that is the case, all of our jobs as educators is to empower students to tell them stories using that medium. And so I, you know, I, someone was asking me like, Hey, I was in the airport. Like, where'd you get this bag? I'm like, I don't even know. It was an ad on Instagram and I just clicked on it. And it. <laughs> I think I had a similar experience recently with a, a bag targeted towards basketball players that never have their, you know, there, there's no bag design for them. So I completely understand how you may have gone through and clicked and purchased the, right. the point, the point you made about, um, the role of the educator possibly shifting and the role that VR could take um, to a few, a few things. And maybe this question, it, it will need to be like sparsed out, but one being, could you see, could you, can you see reasonably in a short time frame that a school could reasonably look at a budget and say that the purchasing VR technology could trump purchasing textbooks because the perception might be like, how could we buy that when we are short on textbooks? When the reality could be, that could be a, a much um, richer experience for a student. But could you see that argument being made at scale? Yes, but that's less of a technology piece and more of a, it's more of a creator piece. So, so right now, hey, we need to purchase these books to learn X, to do this. And it's possible if we, you know, if the same content existed, something similar in VR, would it make more sense to do that? Mm. And it, or is it possible to do that? It's, yes, it's totally possible. You have the exceptions of students who uh, suffer from motion sickness when they use VR. So you need an accommodation for them. Um, but yes, would it make sense the way the technology is shifting, the idea of going from and I'll get a little bit techy here, going from a, a traditional, uh, you know, head mounted device, HMD, where you're connecting to a computer. Um, and so you, you're paying 2,600 for your computer and then anywhere mm -hmm. like six to 1,300 for a headset. And that's just for one set, mm -hmm. as opposed to purchasing an Oculus Quest for $400. And that's that entire thing in one piece. Right. That, right. That makes it realistic for schools. The issue that schools are gonna have is where's the content for it? Because that's more of a cultural piece. 
not enough people fully have ever really experienced VR or even fully understand it. And so then it doesn't make it viable for the content creators to create content for it. Right. It, the, 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 the content piece too, I think you're kind of like walking us right into the next question. We had, we were really fortunate. Audrey Waters joined us for an episode uh, back in season one. And I'll never forget what she said that like all technology has values baked into the technology itself or coded into the technology. So if we are to put students in a, in immersive, in, in an immersive experience, there almost has to be more due diligence done with who created it, what is their intention, um, who are the creators of this content, because it could be e either one or the other, more powerful than the text version, potentially more damaging than the text version. Yeah. No, so, absolutely right. You know, and so what do we do? As a history teacher, if you can imagine um, describing a battle or having a discussion about a battle with students, you know, even as you do that, you don't, I mean, even if you're showing images, you might proof the images first or, you know, go through them and be like, oh, that's, that's a little too graphic for mm -hmm. 11th grade class. Um, the, the level of, of uh, empathy that can be experienced through a headset versus even graphic pictures are not comparable. And so along the lines of what you're describing, if you were to put kids into a headset and it's a 360 video of a, of a reenactment of one of those things, but something done with some level of realism with you know, the blood and like the feelings. And even if you have a, a like, a, if it's possible to add a smell aspect to it as well, yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be jarring. And we, you know, the idea of kids learning about war versus experiencing war are two different things. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole nother realm of considerations for educators to make if they're going to consider going down, down this path. Um, it, I thought it was really interesting that you brought up this idea of empathy as well, because in some of the work coming out of the um, Stanford Virtual Human Interaction Lab, have you visited their work at all and all of the research that they're pulling together? I've done, I've, uh, I've been reading um, the Jeremy Balenson book. Yeah. Uh, over the past month or so. And uh, I haven't had a chance, I, I've done some work with Stanford, but I've had a chance to go get into that lab yet. Yeah, so I mean, even from like, I, I, my, my perception is like visiting all of the rich research that they're kind of pulling together for people that's qu quickly accessible. But the concept that you had mentioned of can virtual become um, a driver of increased empathy among students or among a population? And, and should that be one of the focal points or one of the things that educators pay attention to? You know, are we doing this so, there's so many ways to look at this. Are we doing this to be um, a meaningful creative outlet? Are we doing this to have kids have the opportunity to visit somewhere they've never visited? Are we doing this for them to be the creators of content like you alluded to earlier with building content that could end up in an app store? Or are we doing this for social good? Or is it all of the above? And we just have to have an awareness of the, there's so many entry points to using these tools. Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't think that those are, I don't think that those goals are siloed. You know, yeah. I feel that they're completely unique. And I do think that, um, I, personally, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of students being active participants in their learning as opposed to passive. So I, and not that I think there's anything wrong with it, I just don't love the model of 
hey, we're going to go on this journey um, because someone has created this portal for us. In some cases, it makes sense. It's, you know, if you want kids to see, if you're teaching kids in Harlem and you want them to see uh, Stonehenge, you're, you know, you're, you're not going to go, you're not going to go on a field trip. Right. So that part of it makes sense. Um, but, you know, from a cognitive science perspective, I feel that it, it um, you increase the ability um, or the, the level of schema that students um, can sort of create and take from their short-term memory to their long-term memory um, by having them actually construct a version of Stonehenge mm-hmm. to scale. Um, and maybe part of it involves, and maybe, and if you're thinking along this design piece, part of that construction process involves viewing a 360 drone flyover of it. Right. You have that empathy to go there. But the, the final piece is actually, how do you build something? Um, and I, I, I like to think that most of the, the work that I'm involved with has this eye on the future of work and, and automation and how that will affect it. And literally the concept of students being able to be flexible in their thinking, to be able to pivot in their skill set and to be able to actually produce something with what they know. As teachers, we, we do an amazing job of making sure that students have access and an and understanding of content. But what do you do with it? Because that's where you turn the corner when you leave college. Right, right. This is, this is turning into a much bigger discussion at this point, which I'm completely comfortable with. Um, this is branching quite far off from just the like you said, that little siloed world of even VR and AR, to, to shift things a little bit more, because this has been um, not, I wouldn't say it's on this extreme of like a, a philosophical discussion about whether we should be doing this, but it's been maybe some higher level looking down at this landscape of VR and AR in schools to make it super practical and concrete. Um, if for the for the educator that's getting started or the classroom that's getting started, what might some of your recommendations be, whether it's with the process you might go through or even thinking about the technology that you might want to consider? Um, I would advise them to, to not do what I did, which <laughs> is uh, just go into it and thinking, all right, well, I'm going to find an application for it. But instead to really reflect on why they want to do it. So as I said before, I, I'm, I have this privilege of being able to just, you know, go and look at something and say, does this make sense in education? Um, and some of that allows me, and I even mentioned this over, at this presentation over the weekend, I asked the teachers in the room not to get stuck in the echo chamber of just educational thinking around these concepts. Because what we do as educators is we are shaping students for the world. We're not shaping them for this educator's version of the world. We'll actually become teachers. And so if you, so I'm gonna bring it back to your original question. If you're thinking about using AR and VR in your classroom, why are you using it? The end piece that you're doing, whether it's like kids experiencing something, kids building something, why is it that AR or VR is the best way to do it? Besides the cool factor, besides the interest piece. If it aligns with your content, then, great. you know, do you, is this a coding piece? Is this an art piece? There's a project I'm working on with an art teacher, which is entirely around kids drawing in VR for th- to be able to develop 3D perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it's also about the storytelling. But the kids don't do any coding whatsoever. And not every kid is going to be a coder. 
Not every person's a coder, right. but every kid can at least develop a designer's eye. So why, and then if you know why you're doing it, then the how, if it's gonna be VR and all this is, I mean, it's gonna sound familiar because it's all from Simon Sinek. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, then if your how is VR and you know why you're doing it, then let your kids develop the what. So you don't see, because I, I often see um, schools or tech departments getting hung up on determining what it is they're going to purchase first. Like that's the primary concern. What's the price point? How many sets should we purchase? Do we do small group? Do we do a lab? Like how do, so you're saying like the entry should be um, considering the objectives and the goals and the intention for student work and then working backwards. So, okay, now we're ready. What should we go get to support this idea? Okay, so and at that point, when you're like, all right, we're ready, this is what we do. Yeah, now what, what are the things? What is the stuff that you see um, a balance between value and accessibility and maintenance and it works in a classroom? And so that, you know, I would say if you're starting, if you're in this, either if you're just starting out with this or if you're, if you're working with kids within, you know, let's say third grade and up, then that would be within this co-spaces realm and co-spaces and merge cube piece. I don't know if you're, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming your listeners are familiar with some of this or they will be, you can Google yeah. it's on, you know, it's on, um, you know, they, they have huge presences on Twitter and that sort of thing. But the thing with that, all right, co-spaces and merge cube. All right, I wanna do something with that. The nice part of how all of our information is networked to, you know, I mean, even the way that this interview is even happening or this conversation is <laughs> search on Twitter. There's so many examples of people who've done things already mm -hmm. and replicated it first. And then as you're replicating it, then you're tweaking it to fit your class. And so this is, once again, you don't have to be me where you, like literally most of the stuff I do in this realm, I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> that project with that math teacher, I was like, great, we should do this. I have no idea how to do it. And that is, I get to figure things out at work. I, but I've been a classroom teacher where you're like, no, I have this amount of time. This is the schedule. We can we can only get the carts in at this point. So I need this to be worked out. And and that is a great place to start. Start by replicating something that someone else has done. Reach out to me. Yeah, I have examples of stuff, or I can put you in touch with other people. Um, so I would say that there's and so if you're going to move up a level from that, there um, is another organization um, that I've uh, that I've worked with. Um, and they have this product. They have this product called Spatial Stories. And what Spatial Stories does is it allows you. It's a it's a plugin. It's something that you would add on to Unity. And I'm going to define some of these terms in case people aren't familiar with it. But 90% of the AR and VR stuff, and a lot of video games and a lot of digital interaction pieces are made with this software called Unity, which is the industry standard. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this plugin works with Unity, and what it does is it simplifies the process of literally animating things in VR. Mm -hmm. So there's one student that I worked with, and this is this is a great. This student is amazing. He's a he's a senior now. He's still in Memphis, and this student did not. He was not a coder. He he's an art kid. This kid loves art and design, photography, video editing. That's his thing. But he really got into VR. And so he wanted to do a project where he had to build out uh, a green efficient home and he wanted to do it in VR. And he did all this research around it, 
from like talking to realtors to talking to people who build stores. <laughs> and so he was like, well, I want to do this, but I need help building this project because I don't understand Unity because Unity is very complicated. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some click and dragging in it, but literally you have to know this programming language, C Sharp, which is not an easy programming language. And he was able to build this house with, with, inter, with interactive features where you can walk around it and there are triggers that lead you from one place to another by himself using the software. That's, so that, de that's definitely on the high fidelity creation side. But this was a kid who literally had seen Unity one year before. Wow. It's impressive, but it speaks to what you are... The, the argument you've been building all along is if you've, if you can identify the purpose of the work, um, you know, what it is that you're trying to accomplish with the work, then how you're going to get that done. There's almost this either internal motivation or inherent value in, in, in learning unity, as opposed to saying, here's the six week course and here's the task you tasks you must accomplish. It's well, I need my, my model, my scale VR model to be able to do these three things. I have to figure out how to get it done. Just a better experience for a student all around. I, I really appreciate the the lens at which you've kind of guided us through this discussion and thinking really big picture down to what are some two really meaningful ways to engage with these tools. Um, do you, how far off? I'm I'm just going to assume that you've read the book, but how close do you, you think we are to our, our Ready Player One educational world? Because when I read that, my thought immediately was. I'm only reading that that story aside from the nostalgia as an education book. We can do that now. We we could we could do that. Like the, the technology is there. Is the, um, is, there is the comfort is the social comfort level or the um, the cultural kind of like uh, are we going to allow this to happen now? That is the tricky part, and that is. Um, I feel like you you ask me really specific questions, and I always go really general. So I'm going. <laughs> Um, so I'll be specific and then I'll be general. Um, the, the level, like the social part, does that exist? Yes. That, that 100% exists. It's just a, it's a subset of people. It is the number of people who are on the internet in the nineties. It's equivalent to that. Yeah. Um, will it grow and will it improve? Uh, the, you know, there are things like haptic suits that literally exist where you can right. feel things and you can actually reach out and touch things and and have that that haptic experience there is you know uh, volumetric uh filming uh which involves uh shooting things from thousands of angles so that you can take things within real life and put it into this virtual space so it's not all animated um but it is literally it is literally something that looks and can have the feel so a stucco wall like in a like in a like an Adobe home, you can put this in VR and be able to feel roughness when you reach out and touch the wall. All of that exists. Is it is it prolific or extremely prevalent? No, but it a hundred percent exists. Yeah. So, that, so here's so here's the next question then. And um, can we? Yes. Will will it be widely accepted? Maybe not quite yet. Should we? Is this, is this a direction that we should be going? Like the technology is there. It doesn't mean we should be using it. It doesn't mean we should put in, uh, an eight-year-old into this environment. Something I recently read said 13 should be like the baseline cutoff for VR experiences. And I'll be honest, do you even know where that comes from? Because I can tell you. The 13 cutoff? No. The 13 comma, uh, cutoff comes from Facebook 
because that's the age limit for Facebook. Because everywhere, they're every driving this, yeah. Every conference I go to, I ask that question. And no one has an answer because they haven't done a longitudinal study about it. Right. Yet. Um, what I have gathered is, you know, the human brain really stops developing by like uh, early to mid 20s. You know, as far as like, all right, this is the brain that you're working with. You know, it's, you're not, you're, you're, your brain isn't still growing in, in that way. Not that you can't learn more, but as far as like physically developing. Um, so technically, should we put high school kids in VR? No one really knows. Um, what, I, what I would personally do when I work with kids, um, I kind of make 13 my, my introductory, or that's, that's where I start kids. Like I, I don't put elementary school kids in VR. Other people do. I just personally don't know what the effects are, so I don't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, it's, with, even if, like you said, there's no longitudinal study, there's nothing to point to that says yes or no, but I think being aware of it, having this discussion, hopefully the people listening will start to consider this as like, I can, right. yes, should I, yet to be determined, but here's maybe why I think it's valuable in this micro instance right here, but it won't be an entire experience. But I think I think that might be um, not super responsible to go down that path. Yeah, and even with the older kids, I limit them to ten to fifteen minutes at a time, and I and I force them to take breaks. Well, I feel I feel like this there there may end up being a part two to this at some point. This discussion because I feel like we've just even oh, though we've been yeah I feel like we just cracked the surface of it. Um, so for for anyone who's listening to the episode, if you could share. Um, other, you know, whatever projects you're working on, where can they learn more about your work? Stay connected with you. Tell them about your podcast. Like, what else are you up to that okay. they want to know about? All right. So if, if, uh, if you're working in this space and you have questions or you want a thought partner, because I always say this to people because that's inspiring to me, Twitter is probably the best way to uh, contact me, and that's at Kwaku1, um, K-W, A-K-U. There's another Kwaku who got there first, and he got that. <laughs> um, and so that is probably the best way to do it, uh, to either, you know, DM me or, or you know, follow, if I basically follow every person that follows me. In fact, I follow more than that. <laughs> um, so that's the best way to reach me. Um, or, you know, I guess if someone emails you, then I can just email them back directly yeah. um, and do that. As far as things that I am currently working on, okay, so I would start with this. And this is a great place for it, especially with what we're talking about. Um, this last year, um, myself and three other educators, we organized a conference uh, at the Windward School in LA um, that was basically focused on student-created VR, where we had a student, like one of my former students who did a keynote in it, and the entire day was around demonstrating work that students are creating in VR that's educational, that reflects their learning. Um, and so that is something we're doing again this year. It's, this year it's going to be on the East Coast. It's going to be in Rutgers, New Jersey at Rutgers Prep on April 18th. And what we experienced last year, which was really surprising, was that we really overestimated the number of schools who were doing this work. It was, it was a lot less. And so a large part of what all of us are focusing on this year is how can we go do presentations or go to conferences to sort of share the stuff that we've done to empower other people to be comfortable enough to do it because we just want more kids doing the work. That's great. Um, your podcast. What okay. are you up to there? 
let's talk about that. So I have a podcast with uh, a friend, a friend of mine who, it was, and this is a, lo- a longer story, but the short version was the short version is my friend is an actor. I was an extra on a TV show in a scene with him. It turns out that our families knew each other, um, and we had become friends, and we figured this out. And essentially, the podcast is about creativity. And so he and I will find people who are doing things that are really, really interesting. Um, so it's anyone from like a stuntman um, or a stuntman coordinator to uh, my friend um, Laura McBain, who's like the assistant director of the K through 12 lab at the Stanford D School, um, to musicians, to actors, whoever. Um, and we bring them on and we have them talk about their creative process. Um, and what sort of the things that either they've looked back on and realized, oh my God, like this, the stunt coordinator used to literally create fight scenes with all of his toys with like fishing wire and would create these elaborate scenes. And he did this as a kid. And then he grew up to have this job, but he didn't know that, that yeah. he would have this job. And the, like basically the, the design elements and the storytelling of people talking about how they came into doing what they do that brings them life. And that's really, that brings other people life because they're really great at it. That is the point of the podcast and it's called Radio Zamunda. Hey, I really, really appreciate your time, the, the insight into the topic, the, um, the granular stuff, the kind of big picture philosophical uh, thinking as an educator. So um, I really hope that the listeners got value out of this episode. And I like, again, I really appreciate your time and joining us today. And uh, thanks for everything that you uh, provided to the audience and into this super complex topic. Thank you for reaching out to me and letting me prattle on for 20 minutes. <laughs> Um, and I will, I will leave you with this uh, teaser um, for our possible next, I guess, version of this, yeah, topic, yeah. which would be this. You know, I talked about, you know, you were talking about these things uh, like within like technology and education and should, you know, should we move in these directions? And I, was, and I, and I made the point of not siloing them. The, the thing that we're not really talking about yet, especially in education, is how do all of these different types of emerging technology, AI, blockchain, VR, AR, uh, automation, internet of things, when they come together, that is when things really get powerful. And so instead of, you know, instead of thinking of these technologies the way we think of courses, like, oh, now I'm going to chemistry class, I'm just gonna think about chemistry, or now I'm going to English or history, and I'm just gonna think about that. the idea of thinking of these pieces of technology within instruction in a cross-curricular way. And the way that we think about creating courses that way, where it's like, oh, well, you're doing this project and, and, and the, the writing that you do to promote this, this is your ELA piece. If you're running a business, so you're, you're writing ads and then you're also managing the money and that's the math piece. Thinking of the technology that way, how mm-hmm. does AR and VR tie in to AI and blockchain? And then how does that shape what these kids will be doing? You're describing the school that I think many listeners, and I know myself, that the school where we, I would want my children to, that would be their experience of the, the intentional use of technology. So now you have officially signed yourself up for part two of our, of our discussion. I really appreciate your willingness to do so. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, again, we'll, we'll talk soon. And thanks again for everything. Thank you for your time, Greg. And have All a great day. All right, Quaker, thank you. To learn more about Kwaku's work and the way that they're leveraging virtual reality 
and intentional and creative ways with his students, connect with him on Twitter at Kwaku1. The So We've Been Thinking podcast is an EdTech Teacher project. To learn more about EdTech Teacher, please visit edtechteacher.org. To listen to previous episodes of the podcast, visit edtechteacher.org forward slash SWBT or search So We've Been Thinking on every podcasting platform.